2: a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody, you're drinking water today?
0: Yeah, I I, I had some pizza and uh, it had like a lot of cheese on it and it kind of upset my stomach a little bit i think <laughs> and i went i went to the to the whiskey to pour myself a whiskey and the smell of it and like so yeah i'm drinking water <laughs> first time first podcast ever i didn't have a whiskey so i'll probably be at the top of my game you guys might just want to stand by and watch what happens
2: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure the guest uh is you know mm-hmm. super interested in your cheese pizza and the millions of people that listen to the roundup on a weekly basis yeah
0: absolutely absolutely all well Matt Drury welcome
2: to the roundup
3: thanks for having me I appreciate it man Uh,
2: we do not um, we don't give quarter on the roundup (laughs) we will push back on your opinions Uh, feel free to push back on our opinions and um, it's it should be a good time
3: I told somebody that uh, I was uh, I was getting ready to do this tonight. I said, "So, if tomorrow you check Drury Outdoors and all of a sudden it's out of out of business, I said something I shouldn't have. <laughs> no, I didn't bet it first.
2: <laughs> no, you're going to be fine. I don't think we had anything. You know, there's no turkey links on here, and there's no whitetail links on here. It's all, you know, way out of the 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 the, the Drury Lane, right?"
3: That's right. It's not hard to get out of that lane. We have a say. It's funny you say that because we've said it for a long time. Anytime that we get out of our lane, we get knocked in the mouth. So we try to stay in our lane because it's what we've, it's just, we've, you know, Mark and Terry, we grew up in the Midwest and we're just a Midwestern company that we've been blessed to be around the whitetail and turkey habitat and and so that's what we're that's what we know you, you know what i right. mean and so we've stayed in our lane and we've made a you know a 32-year career out of it so to speak
2: so matt how are you related like cody and i were trying to figure it out whether you were son nephew or both
3: both so Terry, hey is, cody
2: yeah, you're right yeah
3: terry what well, that i was
2: right
0: if he- <laughs> Listen, they're brothers, Robbie. If he's his son, and he's also a nephew, it, yeah, it can't be
3: chance. <laughs>
0: I like Robbie thought I was a genius for going. I bet he's his son and a nephew because <laughs> they're brothers. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. them. am That's all right. I make that's a lot right. of fun of Robbie. That's what that's my role.
3: Yeah, I like it. That's uh, I. I have a podcast of my own, a 100% Wild Podcast, and the co-host and I have a very similar relationship. So. Uh, you No, I, have a
0: ridiculous accent.
3: No, no, I wish okay. because we'd sound a lot more <laughs> intelligent. I tell you that you just stick that accent on anybody, it just right. it makes it sound so much better. No, so, but Terry is my father, Mark is my uncle, and those two are ten years apart. Terry's the oldest and uh they started the business and they started filming in 1988 and uh we we launched our first title called king of the spring a turkey hunting tape in 1989 so i would have been eight eight years old
2: wow well that's awesome and uh again we're just we're happy to have you and um you know as, as 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 we roll through these topics and and conversations feel free again you know push back on our opinions and Cody's opinions and, and whatnot. Yes, Cody.
0: Well, I just, I just want to legitimately say that I I started, I got out of the Marine Corps in 97. um, And truthfully your dad and, and uncle, they were doing, like I was kind of critical of hunting celebrities or, you know, people that were, using a camera to hunt, hunting, to get, fam- I, I really feel like your dad and, and, and brother, I, I, I want to put Will Primos in that camp too, of guys that we could relate to as just Midwest hunters. I'm a Kansas guy. Um, yeah. So kudos for that. It, it wasn't like it was all this, they flew off in some jet to some high end lodge and had a deer right there. You know, it, it seemed like they were hunting. Right, and and uh, it it turned me to where I started watching hunting shows. Um, as before, when I watched them, I felt like I needed to go win the Powerball to do what these guys were doing. Um, I, so kudos to your dad and uncle for for being uh, relatable, I guess, to somebody that just got out of the Marine Corps and couldn't afford new arrows let alone to go on a guided trip right so anyway well, that's
3: i appreciate that i appreciate your service first and foremost and and uh, appreciate the kind words you know when they started they were truly a couple blue blue collar guys uh, my dad his background is he's a civil engineer and uh, he owned a construction company and their father my grandpa he was a construction guy that's just all they ever knew was you know you work hard and if you want something you go get it and you know i think anybody that knows dre outdoors today it's much different 32 years later but it's because of the hard work and effort they put in like the 90s were you know they never made any money and and doing this it was how can we continue to maybe go on an out-of-state hunt or, you know, anywhere that they could drive to basically. Right. right. It's evolved in a much different company today. Uh, but
2: the the beginnings were pretty humble for sure. It's good stuff. So Matt, why don't we throw you right into the fire and, uh, you sent us, you sent me an email. I don't know if Cody, were you on this email or not? No, you weren't.
0: So I always get left out. In Cody will research. be cold
2: on this one. You sent an article that is making its way around the uh, hunting community right now from Outdoor Life. Yep. And it's tied to the duck hunters that died on real foot. A very tragic accident. And just you know super mysterious. Nobody really knows what's happening and whatnot. But you sent an article that uh, had a, a, a sort of blow-by-blow account by the survivor yeah
3: yeah it, it was pretty interesting i i found myself i saw it i originally saw the story when it happened and thought man this seems really strange like this is you just don't really and i'm sure you know in other countries and, and areas where you know poaching is such a serious thing and it has different kind of consequences like you might see this type of stuff in the hunting community from time to time but you don't really see a lot of this in the states here and so it really caught my eye at the time and then i started seeing it on social media yesterday and I, I took the time to read it and i'm glad i did because man to me reading through the the like you said the blow by blow it was almost like reading a fiction uh a novel I, honestly like i don't know if you've ever read the books by bobby cole the dummy line or any of the bobby cole books um but it reminded me. I'm a, I'm a huge fan and, and of those of his line of books. It reminded me of that. Like, is this real? Is this really how it happened? Like, this seems like there's a something missing here. But I really felt for the main the the survivor. Uh, I don't recall his name. Crabtree maybe was the, yep, his Crabtree name. Crabtree is his name. Man, I felt for the guy because you think, what if this would have happened to me? You know, out there and and nobody's. Sur- survives it except for you like you could see where in social media today people would question every ounce of a story like that and it may have happened exactly like he said it and I I, kinda, I believe it did frankly right right
2: know. no it is a crazy story did you read it at all Cody did you come across it in outdoor life
0: no i'm trying to scroll it now but is there a is there a 30 second synopsis
2: Go ahead, Matt.
3: Well, basically there's a there's a, a gentleman that's a lifelong uh, duck hunter. Uh, he looked like he could have been a Robertson, you know, one, exactly. one of those guys. And uh, so he's hunting, uh, like his buddies kind of stopped hunting and he keeps hunting. so he's starting to hunt with younger and younger uh, uh, crowd. And it, it looked like he was hunting with a, a couple 20 year olds, or I, I don't remember their age, but it, it couldn't have been Nineteen twenty, somewhere in there, twenty three, something like that, and so they're out on uh, real foot uh, in Tennessee, I believe. Yep. And uh, this was the blind that they drew at the beginning of the season, and they had the rights to hunt it. You know, it, it was a public thing, and they had the rights sure. to hunt this public blind the whole time, and, and only them. And there's another blind that's kind of across the lake, not far, that's private and um so there was some kind of mysterious drama between those two uh duck you know blinds through the season but apparently all that got squashed there was you know no, no ill will well this morning of this hunt it was real stormy out there wasn't a lot of people out and this crab tree, the survivor and these two young boys uh went hunting and they this crab tree was apparently kind of in the back or something of the blind and all of a sudden he hears like hey somebody pulled up in a, in a in a in a boat and some he's asking if he can hunt with us and uh before before this guy knows it all of a sudden this gentleman kind of mysterious gentleman comes into the blind and the gun goes off and they hear uh, uh, one of the guys fall into the water right so this, the survivor crabtree's instinct is to kind of push this guy back and he goes over and him and his other buddy pull the body out of the water. And at this time, I don't know if they know if he's passed or, or not, but you know, they're like kind of hitting the, Oh crap button. Like we got to get, we got to get him to, you know, a hospital or whatever. So they all get in the boat and this mysterious person also gets in the boat with him and he's got a gun he still he's got a gun there's a gun somehow he gets a hold of and on the ride back to the loading dock he shoots the other kid and so then a you know kind of a quarrel happens there between this survivor and this gentleman and who turns out he, he was like 70, 74, something like, he was a little bit older. Yep. And um,
2: David Vowell.
3: And apparently he had just in his mind found out, like, he had self-diagnosed that he had dementia. And he had told his wife that, and he had told his hunting buddies this days before, you know, just not very long before that and that afternoon him and his wife were gonna go to the doctors to officially get tested he had not officially been diagnosed so the 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 thing is people think that he might have had an episode this day and that are who knows maybe he was just having he's struggling with the impending you know doom that he felt he was going to go, go into. Cause I think his mother had dementia as well. So anyways, everybody knows this guy says, this is the weirdest, most out of character thing. He's not like this. He's a gentle guy. So out of character. So anyhow, back to the boat, there's a fight breaks out this, uh, survivor Crabtree, he grabs the gun and he kind of hits this gentleman over the head with it. And he, and he pushed him out of the boat or he fell out of the boat. And so then he takes off, and this guy's like, he's looking back to make sure he doesn't pull a pistol and shoot him. But he's looking back, and he said the guy's like getting to his feet. So he just knew where he last saw this guy. So he gets to, uh, you know, gets to somebody's home. They call 911, they call all the agencies, everybody converge on this guy and on on the two young men that had unfortunately passed away by the time, you know, any EMS or anybody shows up. And so they start questioning Crabtree, the survivor. And so he took him where he felt, felt like he last saw the guy and they don't find him. So they put out like a, you know, kind of all points bulletin saying, this guy's armed and, and dangerous and, you know, be, be on the lookout. Well, I think two days later they found his body close to like 300, 400 yards away from where he had last been seen, and he and he had passed. What they think happened is he passed from hypothermia. It was like January 28th mm. or 29th or something like right. that. So right. that that's the one 30 seconds, but that's. No, that was
2: that. the 30-second story, Cody.
3: Yeah, it, it's I well worth read. Outdoor Life did a fantastic job on this one.
0: I did, I scanned it a little bit and, I mean, you know, that's a freakish story. It has to be a, a legitimate nightmare for, obviously a nightmare for the families. I don't want to, Jeez, a yeah. horrible thing, but can you imagine how much doubt law enforcement has as well as they hear that? Like, man, what do we do here? Do we believe that because obviously a guy rolls up in a boat with two bodies um, and he's basically unscathed that's uh not really uh tragic obviously first of all a horrible story but uh crazy too i mean crazy 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 yeah
3: two two young men lose their life and and uh obviously a, a respected you know older gentleman that by all accounts was nothing but a great guy and just a weird set of circumstances and and uh very very unfortunate event
0: Absolutely.
2: Where do you want to go next, Cody? Matt, since you are our guest, we'll let you choose the final topic that, uh, or any other topic you want to bring up to the table.
3: You know, I, I, first of all, I, when I, when you sent the links over and I started reading them and I'm like, man, I'm a little fish out of water here because this is not, like I said, we stay in our lane. I know whitetails, I know turkeys, and I know a little bit about big game in the States but I did thoroughly enjoy reading the articles and I did some of my own homework and reached out to some people to, awesome. to get some input. Like I don't ever want to go into something like unprepared. Right. Um, so th- there was a couple of neat articles that you had. Well, first of all, and we don't have to dive into it very deep, but that Texas article on the exotic, I thought that was awesome. So, b- big story is, you know in 2020 there obviously not only did the pandemic hit but texas got hit with that crazy ice storm that knocked you know a lot of people didn't have power for a long time and you know they weren't getting food and 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 everything well there was food banks that donate you know that wild game hunters feeding the hungry which is something that we've participated in a long for a long time they weren't allowed to utilize exotic game meat which is something that's a pretty big deal down there i mean there are a lot of exotics down in texas and you always hear everybody say nothing's better than access you know meat and and there's a lot of good meat that could have been given out there so there was a bill proposed i guess to um to allow exotic meat uh and got signed in and so now that's something that they can do down there in Texas. I thought that was a a feel good story for once.
2: Yeah, 100%. Texas House Bill 2213 passed the House Chamber 144 to 1.
0: I'd like to know who the one was. <laughs> Robbie, What was there a, do you know the reasoning of why they couldn't before? Was there a legitimate scientific health reason that, I mean, the Axis deer that are being shot in Texas are 50th generation Axis, right? I mean, they weren't like imported from another country last year. Was, was there a legitimate health concern there? Or was it just something somebody made up and made a rule?
2: Um, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. I do not know the answer to whether or not it had anything to do with... Um, don't be cheering that I don't know the answer to. That My
3: question. whole goal was just
0: to stump you. It doesn't matter. They can eat it now. We let's move on. Next topic. <laughs> but be I got a you. whole
3: segment called Stump Robbie, <laughs> right? And
0: I just Cody won. <laughs> I want to add
3: one more piece of that. So in Missouri, we just last year passed uh, our Governor Parsons passed a bill in in the law that uh, so hunters feeding the hungry has been around since ninety two in Missouri, but they finally allowed like snack sticks or other things because it was always pre-packaged ground meat was the end result of what would be donated to food shelves or whatever and, and or food pantries and so last year they passed that in a law where we can now get things made into you know uh summer sausage or sticks or jerky and i thought that was pretty that was pretty awesome because there's so many ways that you can eat wild game that are so much even better than just the ground up version. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool, but they, they had 17 meal, 17 million meals were provided in 2019 in Missouri. So, you, you know, you start looking at, you start adding up all the states that participate in this, these types of programs. And it it's, I mean, that alone should be something that a non-hunter could get on board. You're literally yeah, feeding people that are going hungry,
2: yeah. you know, like, yeah, we just funded the Hunters for the Hungry program in Wyoming, $23,000. Awesome, awesome, okay. congratulations, that's awesome. It was a great little project, great little um, great little project. Well, top of the hour, I've been stumped, so I'm gonna call this a day and tuck my tail.
0: Hold on, I got, I got one thing real quick. I wanna <laughs> know, um, because it's, it's not something that we really do and, and by all means Matt came Um, of his own accord I can you I genuinely want to hear about if I said to I said to you what is deer cast yeah yeah it's I'm I'm playing a little I kind of know the answer more than I'm playing but I would like that explanation if possible
3: sure so Mark and Terry are very analytical guys right and they've spent a lot of time in the whitetail woods And so over the last three decades, and really it's been longer than that because they've obviously they hunted for decades before they started the company. But over the last two decades specifically, they really started honing in on what makes a whitetail move, in their opinion. Like what triggers it? Weather. Weather definitely has a huge effect on what triggers a whitetail to move, and especially a mature whitetail and so with the advent of trail cameras you know probably a decade or so back it allowed them to start putting the missing pieces of the puzzle together what was happening at night like they they would know hey i sat here all day every day of the season four months and all i know is the deer disappeared during this period that period and this period i don't know why trail cameras allowed them to figure out the why and so we sat down one day and 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 our TV show 13, if anybody's ever seen it, it's, it's a lot about trying to help people understand whitetails and how you could try to be put in a good position to see a white tail while you're hunting, right? That's the ultimate goal. And so we took what they knew from, you know, years of hunting and we kind of established that we felt like there was about 13 different phases of a deer season. It doesn't matter what kind of farm you're on. There's always debate. Well, you guys are on private farms or I hunt public or what makes a whitetail move, right? There's triggers. And so we basically broke it down into what we call the 13 phases of the season. And we said each phase, different things make a deer react differently. So whether it was barometric pressure turn into 30 in the, you know, September, or it needs to be 30.45 in December, when weather's different when things are different when they're feeling different like those are the things that we put together and there's 13 weather variables 13 or 14 weather variables we created an algorithm we worked with an app developer he actually had a background as a pilot as well so he understood weather and how weather interacts with each other different weather variables and so we put this algorithm together that if you input your data as far as your zip code or where you're hunting And so it kind of slides the scale to the country basically, like we know this the South, their seasons a little different than the Midwest, and the Northeast is a little bit different than the South, you know, this the Southeast. So you put your data in of where you're at location-wise, and the the algorithm pumps out a prediction of. How we feel the deer will move that day at any given hour—it's hourly prediction. We use Weather Channel. We teamed up with IBM. We use Weather Channel's API, and so that's the weather data that it's feeding, and it's formulating a, a great, a good, a okay, bad, and poor prediction for every hour, and and it doesn't just stop there because it's one thing to be told, hey, it's going to be a good day to go hunting, but it how, what do I need to do now? And our thing all along for 30 years has been teaching what the mistakes we've made and the things that we've learned. So, Mark and Terry break down each of those weather variables and for each phase and say, hey, today, you know, the wind is 16 miles an hour. This is why the deer are going to react the way they're reacting because of this variable. And we break down each one of those. So, it's we launched it in 2018 and within the first month, we had like 50,000 downloads of the app. Like it went crazy, we couldn't believe it. And I think last year we had over a million people use the app, um, you know, in just three short seasons, we got some really cool features that we're coming out with this year. And I think it's going to be a a big deal. One-stop shop, if you will, for people and, and a little bit of everything in there for, for the white tail guy. So that's a very quick rundown of it. I appreciate you asking.
0: No, no. I was, I was genuine, and I, I understood at the surface level, you know what it does. Having that, having that bit of background on how it works, and uh, I think it's pretty cool when you partner with I, I, IBM to pull an API from the Weather Channel to help deer hunters. That's technology helping deer hunters at its finest, right there.
3: You know, the interesting part about that, there's a guy on their team, he's from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and he was a, he's a hunter and he was a a fan of what we were doing. And and he's like, man, this is unbelievable. Like, this is a no brainer. Like IBM, they are, I'm sure any of these big tech companies, they love to see how their tech can be used in other applications, totally different application to use it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I, you know, that blew me away. I had no idea. I'll be completely honest and I'm, I feel completely fine being completely honest because that's who I am that Direcast, Honestly, I thought it was like a streaming service. I thought that's what Direcast was. And so now I don't.
3: <laughs> you know, and there's that too. Our entire video library is on there. A couple hundred titles are on there. Our TV stuff isn't, uh, that's over on MOTV, but, um, yeah, I mean that that's there too. And there's a social element, a social feed. Like when things were kind of hitting the fan and people were, you know, losing their their social platforms. Uh, you know, we had Deercast there for the hunter, the outdoorsman, the outdoors person, mm-hmm. like, here's a solution. You know, and and even we could, you know, we're on Apple, and Android. I mean, anybody could be shut down, but we pride ourselves on trying to teach people, trying to you know, educate, which is big, even in not the non-hunting community, if you, if you can show that you're educating, it's not just in entertainment or infotainment, it's education. You have something there, especially in this world where people are so interested in a field to fork, you know, knowing where their meat comes from. Uh, we're trying to provide a platform where people can go on there and it's a welcome thing, no matter what your expertise is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's welcome, you know, and, and we watch it really closely. It's small enough still that we can control the the bad actors that may come in, you yeah. know.
2: So yeah. so that's important. Well, Matt, we're we're thankful for you. We're thankful for you at being a fan of Blood Origins. And uh, we can't wait to see what the future holds between Drury Outdoors and Blood Origins and see what we can do.
3: I'm a fan, you guys are are out <laughs> providing content in a way that has not been done before in my opinion in our space and it's talking to both sides of the aisle something that was desperately needed we all talk about it all the time our numbers are declining how can we get more people invested into the space well we're just talking to each other and you're talking to others and that's what we need i'm a fan I have been for, for a while now and uh, keep up the good work because we need it and uh, we look forward to having you guys contribute in DeerCast uh, anytime you want.
2: Thank you. Cody, any last words? Can't stump No, baby. no.
0: I, I don't think so. Great episode. Great, Great conversations. I like the conversation.
2: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends and most importantly, Do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.